Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to another Arsecast Extra, as always, with James from Gunner Blog. James, good morning to you. Good morning to you. <laughs> oh, good morning with a U. Good morning. Yeah, it's been a while since we've had a goodly one. It is only a good morning, uh, simply because we're alive and we're here, and that's always a positive, I guess. That is true. That is true. There is still beauty in this world, and we're lucky to be experiencing it. But nevertheless, <laughs> it is a shame that football matches don't go exactly how I want them to. Yes, I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> this whole world should be set up to do whatever you want, because, you know, in fairness, what you want, I think I want, and pretty much every uh, every person listening to this would want. So it's not like we're asking for multiple things from whatever divine being that might be out there. Just no. the one thing. Just satisfy the needs of one man. Come on, God. Just plug us into a simulation where Arsenal win every game. That's happiness. That'll be happiness until we get bored of it. Until yeah. we get a question for the Arsecast extra going, Does this, is Mikel Arteta's biggest problem that he, he just keeps winning games? Yeah. Yeah. I miss those questions. Yeah, me too. Me too. That's in an alternate universe, I think. Uh, how do you feel this morning? That's a good place to start. I feel obviously disappointed because, well, we lost for obvious reasons and I, I'm tired of losing to Manchester City. Um, 11 t games without a win in the Premier League, I believe, against City. Fuck that shit is basically my reaction to that. That's, that's more than enough, yeah. I would say. I feel disappointed. I feel like we... <sighs> You know, we we didn't do ourselves any favours yesterday. I feel at the same time, you know, the first half was good. I was really encouraged by that first half. And, you know, when you consider that last season we went to Manchester City and got beaten 5-0, and I know we were down to 10 men, as we often are in games against Manchester City, it should be pointed out. Back then, it felt like it was going to take a really, really long time for us to be able to compete with them mm -hmm. because the gap felt huge because the gap was huge. And now we're fast forward, what, 18 months later? And the gap is not huge anymore. The gap has been closed. We went toe-to-toe -to -toe with them in the first half. I think we were deservedly level. Maybe we slightly edged that first half. I think so. And I suppose the, the the big disappointment comes from not simply losing the game, but how we lost the game because we made mistakes, which gave City chances, which they took and they punished us with some measure of ruthlessness. So on the one hand, like crushing, horrible disappointment and, you know, tinged with some fear and this little bit of uh, a blip or, or funk that we're in at the moment is, is worrying, of course. But at the same time, I'm 
capable of seeing that we've come a long way. And I know that's probably not much solace for anybody this morning, but you asked me how I feel and that's how I feel. So how do you feel? Um, I feel disappointed like you, but it's actually less about the one game against City because I understand that any team can lose a game against Manchester City. Uh, You'd like to go less than 11 games before you win one. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, but that can happen. But I feel a, to be honest with you, a sadness about the last few results in the Premier League because I have a deep sense that an opportunity has to a certain extent passed by. Mm -hmm. That's not to say I don't think there's still a title race or I don't think Arsenal can win the league. But when I looked at the momentum that we had and this City game on the horizon, I think Arsenal had an opportunity against Everton and Brentford Mm. to put themselves in a position where almost any result in this game was palatable. And actually, like the momentum swing that feels very substantial on the basis of last night could have been mitigated against by results elsewhere. And I I just have a gnawing feeling Mm. that we kind of, the train needed to kind of make it all the way to this match against City. Uh, And it it just, just sort of came up short. Yeah. There is ever such a long way to go, but I do have that, sort of nagging suspicion. Do you you know what I mean? I know what you mean. And I was going to ask you, you know, to sort of put that in the context of where we were going into the Everton game because Mm. we'd beaten Manchester United. There was that sense of like euphoria, optimism, whatever you want to call it. And and just for the record, I don't think it was anybody getting ahead of themselves or taking anything for granted, but that was a huge high, a Mm -hmm. huge high. And you're looking at the next games and you're thinking, well, it's Everton in the league. We had the Man City FA Cup game, of course, but it's Everton in the league. It's Brentford at home. And you're looking at those two games and you're thinking, well, going into the Manchester City game, you know, if we can take six points from those, it it gives us a good chance. But obviously the stakes were higher because of what happened in those games. And I think that is in some way fed into the disappointment that people feel about this game in isolation. So I think that that tallies kind of with what you're saying. Yeah, I think so. I think so. I think, as I said, anyone can lose to Man City on any given day. Um, Hardly anyone can lose to Everton. That's <laughs> yeah, <problem>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there you know there was a a big uh, a big 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 incident, as Mikel Arteta called it, um, regarding the Brentford game. Yeah, the two, think, the two oh, points that, that uh, he talked about in that game, people are going, what if at the end of the season those two points have a big impact on the title race? And I get it, but maybe those two points you know, have a, have a big impact on now because of where we are and, and what that result meant for Manchester City last night in terms of going ahead of us. That's absolutely true. By the same token, uh, I think privately, Mikel Arteta would concede that uh, his team didn't reach the levels they have for much of the season against Brentford. Uh, Mm. And um, in some respects, the officiating 
I think I think he quite deliberately kind of uh, while well, it was a, certainly a huge factor and worth talking about. I think he, there was also some of that kind of managerial deflection mm. in there. Um, but by the same token, um, if Arsenal beat Aston Villa on Saturday lunchtime, they will be top, and that could very quickly change mm. the momentum, the narrative, and the mood. Uh, and there is a long way to go. So my sort of gnawing fear that a brilliant chance to sort of over the last few weeks deliver potentially a kind of if not a knockout blow then certainly a knockdown blow to Man City has been missed mm. the reality is there are still a lot of games to go and anything everything remains on the table sure okay well look let's let's discuss this one because you know, it was billed as the biggest game of the season, you know, our latest biggest game of the season, because we've had a few <laughs> yeah. of those along the way, and we've done pretty well in, in most of those games. Manchester City, of course, are the, the, the flag bearer, the standard bearer, I suppose, at Premier League level because of how successful they've been. And this is, this is how you really test yourself. And this is maybe how people will view your, your title credentials, rightly or wrongly, when you come up against the reigning champions you know people will will use that as a kind of a marker so i think that was in the in the the auspices before this game there was an injury blow yes with thomas Partey, and maybe we'll have a question about him and that in, in part 2 so we'll save that discussion but obviously that's a that's a blow going into this game and the fact that the the, the news came out before the game a good few hours before the game, I, I think maybe it was a little bit unsettling for people's nerves, which I understand. And then there was one change to the team in Takahiro Tomiyasu replacing Ben White. So what did you make of the the starting lineup in the light of those things? Um, there's not a huge amount, as we talked about the other day, that Mikel Arteta can realistically do for, for a game against Manchester City anyway. Um, was there anything else you would have liked to have seen or were you comfortable enough with that one based on our, our conversation on Monday, wasn't it, about you know the, the players who have got us to this point maybe getting the chance to play in this game? Yeah, I think in that respect, actually, I was a little bit surprised about Tomiyasu. Um, not concerned about Tomiyasu, but I just thought maybe with Partey being out mm. and with that being quite late news and quite unexpected news... I thought Arteta might uh, kind of keep as much continuity as possible elsewhere. Mm. But they're so close, I think, in terms of ability and style that I thought it was a reasonable change. I think Ben White's been a little bit off his game. Tommy Hassi was brought in, albeit to play at left-back for the Liverpool match and did well. So there's a bit of precedent for using him you know, in these big, big games. Mm. Um, he referenced that afterwards as well, didn't he, when he talked about, he was asked about what was the thinking yeah. uh, about Tommy Asu, and he said, well, the same thinking as when he started here in the win against Liverpool, albeit in not his natural position. No, and that was quite a specific role. Um, maybe he had something very specific in mind for this game. Um, as it turned out, it was not to be... Uh, Tommy Asu's night, but I, I have to be completely honest and say his selection didn't alarm me in, in any way at all. No, I wasn't worried about it. Um, maybe there's a you know a sense that one or two players in this team are a little bit, if not tired, but maybe a bit leggy. So you know, changing things up um, isn't the worst thing in the world. And I certainly didn't have any 
concerns about Tomiyasu playing on the left um, or on yeah. the right hand side. Sorry, so it wasn't wasn't a big issue. I think the 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 big miss, of course, is Thomas Partey and. You know, how much that miss is felt internally, we don't know. I think externally, we as fans were like, oh, Jesus, uh, you know. But but um, internally, maybe they have a lot of faith in, in Jorginho, who I thought had, you know, in the, in the, in the context, had a pretty okay game. I don't think he was the problem, per se, in no. any way. I thought he was, he was quite lively and, and um, made some good passes, et cetera, et cetera. But first half... You know, this was, it started brightly from an Arsenal perspective, I think. Uh, then you got to this sort of period where the teams, I think, were just sort of feeling each other out a little bit, you know. It was quite even. Um, there weren't any real clear-cut chances. There was that moment when Holland was at the back post and he, he, he provided a cutback. And I don't think any City players were in there. They were just expecting him to score, I guess. Yeah, um, I could pull that from Morris. Um, mm. Yeah, it was it was it was intense, uh, but there weren't a great deal of chances in that opening twenty minutes. Yeah, then there was a chance, and it fell for Eddie and Kedia. Zinchenko cross and Kedia didn't time his header correctly. It, it came off his shoulder and and went wide. And when Mikel Arteta talked about not making the most of the chances that we had, you know, I think we have to to sort of try and put those in context a little bit. So I'm going to fast forward uh, a little bit and, and talk about this one as well. But the timing of those chances, 21 minutes or 22nd minute when, when Eddie heads wide and in mm. the 24th minute, City, well, they go ahead. Uh, there was one in the second half as well where uh, we had a chance. I think it was the one where Eddie slid in and didn't quite get there. Yeah. And a few minutes later, City are ahead. Um, and I'm, we'll talk, obviously, about how the second half changed and, and how much uh, better City were in it. But we did have moments and um, chances where perhaps the momentum of the game could then have been swung in our favor. So let's talk about that first one, um, the header that Eddie missed. And then, look, he can't legislate for a mistake at the back by Tommy Asu, But... I mean, is that one where you're looking at it and thinking he's got to score there or he's got to at least get it on target and, and give the goalkeeper a problem? Yeah. Uh, well, listen, the data people will tell you, you can't say he's got a score from a headed chance like that. It, it just, it's not something that I think happens with enough regularity statistically to say that's the case. But you want to, I, I do think it's fair to say you've got to work the goalkeeper there. Like, it's not a good contact um, mm. from Eddie. And actually, the thing is about being a striker, like, you don't take every chance. But I think over the course of the game, there were kind of three chances with this, a second half header and the one that he is inches away from getting on to. Mm. Where really in a game of these stakes, you kind of need one of those, don't you, to go for you? kind of need one of those to hit the net. I think so. I think so. And, um, you know, this is not, uh, this is a fairly obvious thing to say, but when you look at the two centre forwards in these teams last night, there's there's a difference, right? And that's, you know, it's not being critical of Eddie um, for being who he is, but this is what you're up against. This is what you're fighting against. And when you do have those opportunities in a game 
of this importance, of this magnitude, particularly, you know, when Eddie's, um, what what do you call it, like his number one skill or whatever it might be, is at least perceived to be, he's like a penalty box poacher. He's mm-hmm. the guy that if you give him the service in the penalty box, he will score goals. He has done, but it's not as if last night these chances were shot from the edge of the box or he had to lob the keeper from 30 yards. This how do I put it? I'm not saying it's exactly his bread and butter, but this is what he should be capable of doing. Does that make sense? He's definitely capable of doing it, yeah. And yeah. so because of that, you know, I'm sure he'll reflect on the chances. This one, this first one, it's a great ball for Zinchenko. Eddie's between the markers. Um, yeah, I think he'll absolutely feel he should have done better there. Mm. Um and uh yeah it's a big moment because as you say uh city got the other end of school pretty swiftly i mean there are manchester city goals right mhm and this is not necessarily the kind of goal you would associate with manchester city because it's a long ball forward from ederson he just boots it yeah Maybe Saliba should do better on the header. I know he's up against a six foot five guy who's who's challenging, but I don't think he quite timed his challenge right. It goes out to Tommy Asu. Tommy Asu looks to play it back to Ramsdale. Under hits it. It's a mistake, obviously, from Tommy Asu. Is there anything else on this goal? Because I I I mean, it's an amazing finish. It really is a brilliant finish. A great piece of opportunism by De Bruyne, but. I do wonder if Gabrielle should have been a bit more switched on in that position because there's only one possible danger if the Tommy Asu back pass goes wrong and it's De Bruyne and, and Gabrielle is with him but doesn't quite uh, stay with him sufficiently. I mean, again, he can't expect the mistake, but what what did you make of that passage of play? Well, I thought City going long was interesting mm. and they did it a lot on the night. Um I think, yeah, they. I mentioned this in, in my piece this morning, but 8.7% of their passes were long, which was double their previous season uh, highest, which was 4.4. 4. So it was very deliberate and they used Edison to gain territory, um, you know, winning first balls, winning a lot of second balls mm. in, in our half of the pitch. I just think that's an interesting point of comparison, given that some of Arsenal's problems in this game would later come from really adhering to their principles and playing out from the back. Well, I mean, um, can I ask you, do you mind me asking you, like, do you think that this tactic was informed by the fact that they have a six foot five guy up front mm-hmm. or they've looked at Arsenal in the last couple of weeks and thought maybe the central defenders aren't quite on the best form, you know, certainly in comparison to, too earlier in the season? Um, could be both of those things. I think it was as much about just sort of avoiding Arsenal's press from the front with, you know, Martinelli and Ketia and Saka, Odegaard, mm. and getting City up the pitch quickly. And Haaland does give them that outlet. And I think they basically back Haaland almost against any centre-half in the Premier League sure. to win a physical duel. And watching him in the flesh last night, you can kind of understand why. Um, 
I agree with you. I think Saliba could have done better. I meant to say this at the weekend because obviously we played Brentford and Saliba had a difficult time in the air. But I was chatting to someone in the week before that who works with him at St Etienne. And I was saying, you know, what have you made of his development at Arsenal? And they were like, yeah, he's come on leaps and bounds. He's, you know, looks like a really mature player, very mm. intelligent on the ball. And they said the one thing he still needs to improve is aerially. And well, we've talked like, about that before, haven't we? Yeah, yeah. And it was it it was always the flaw in his game, even when he was a kid. Like he, he could do it all, but he, aerially he wasn't the best in terms of timing and technique. Um and I think this season he's generally been pretty good, but I just think maybe last couple of games has been a little bit of an indication that that is still an area to be improved upon. Yeah. Um, listen, Harland's and Tony are hard work. Yeah, no, 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 no. I, I get it. I get it. But I don't think it's unreasonable, you know, to be um, to analyze a player and say there are things that he can do better. Absolutely. Particularly if you're like a 21 year old central defender, you are far from the finished article. Like, he's brilliant. He's been absolutely fantastic for us this season. But if there's room for improvement, nothing wrong with saying that. And obviously, it's something that, that you know, he can work on himself. Like, um, 21 in the life of a centre half is still really, really young. And you can get a lot better, you know, particularly uh, as you learn to read the game and, and, you know, you get more experienced and all that kind of stuff. So, but I mean, I, I, I see your point watching it back now about De Bruyne is kind of allowed to run through mm. untracked, but I can kind of forgive the Arsenal players for thinking this is a relatively straightforward pass by Tommy. Ashton sure. Stones. No, no, no. I get it. I get it. He, even on his wrong foot. Like he's very good on his wrong foot generally. Yeah. Um, and what he needs to do really is just lay it into the channel onto Ramsdale's right foot and instead... Yeah, and he just gets it horribly, horribly wrong. And there's almost no time. Ramsdale can't even come out and close the angle. I mean, it's straight mm. into De Bruyne's path. And you're right. The execution is uh, the finish is brilliant. So, look, I thought Arsenal responded well. I thought we responded yeah. well. There's to... a great response in the ground as well. I know we talked yeah, about that yeah. a lot this season. And I think it is easy to dismiss it but it seemed to really translate to the performance as well. Mm. I thought Arsenal really, really immediately um, showed more intent. Uh, they were, you know, Tommy Asu had a chance after about five minutes on the volley. Mm. Um, there was a moment just after that where Saka had the ball in the box, but didn't quite do one thing or the other, yeah. didn't sort of get shot away. It was a good response uh, from Arsenal. It was. And then before... The break, we got um, a penalty. Can, can I ask, in the ground, mm. what were you thinking was going on there? Because watching on TV, I was like, I mean, I know what the gesture is from a referee when he's pointing for a penalty, but I was like, what? What's What exactly is happening here? Because I thought, on in all honesty, I thought it maybe it had been handballed on the that's line. That's what I thought as well. I was going, there, he must have seen a handball. And then they showed a replay and, well, there was no handball. It was cleared off the line. The ball didn't go over the line. And then they showed the collision between Ederson and Inkedia. And it's one of those where I looked at it at first and went, Whew. I mean, that's a bit generous, I guess. But the thing is, the more you look at it, the more it's a penalty, for me anyway, in that the goalkeeper comes out, 
he basically jumps. He's off the ground. He sort of takes out Inkedia, who's got the shot away. And I think if that happens with any other player other than the goalkeeper, that's given as a foul. And it's given as a penalty. But goalkeepers, I guess, have this thing where they are allowed challenge for the ball. And if their momentum takes them into the to the striker or whoever's playing uh, up front or whoever it might be, usually they get the benefit of the doubt in that situation. This time yeah. they didn't. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think it's very rare you see a penalty given for mm. that. And I think that it's maybe less about the goalkeeper personally, but I think generally, and I'm not sure that this is right, but generally referees, if you get a shot away, they don't pull up what happens immediately afterwards. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you fire off a shot, but then, and, you know, it hits the post, but then two seconds, you know, a split second later, someone cleans you out. Mm. It's almost like they play an effective uh, advantage, but they very rarely pull it back. I mean, yeah, if yeah, that yeah. ball isn't cleared off the line, it's a goal, right? So I, I guess the referee, he he's correct in his action to award a penalty kick there. It just caught me by surprise uh, because very. I think it's very, very, very rare that it's ever given. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those. I was watching on um, on TV here in Ireland. Premier Sports was the channel that had it, and they had Shea Given mm. and John Hartson. They were the two pundits in studio. So <laughs> Let me guess. She, she, yeah, see if you can guess what they thought. You know, Shea Given yeah. was very much goalkeeper's union, former Man City player. I think he played there for, what, a season or two or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, but he was like, no, there's no way that's a penalty. And Hartson was like, well, it's a penalty. He's taking him out. I mean, the more you look at it, the more it's a penalty. So, um, yeah, look, it is, to my mind, a penalty. I did see some questions, people asking, like, should it have been a second yellow card? For Edison, I think, yeah, potentially. I, potentially, I think though, given the rarity, uh, it's not that I would not like uh, have liked to have seen it, but it's one of those. Again, I'm sort of applying my "what if this was up the other end" um, sort of uh, outlook on this, right? That the the award of the penalty in those situations is so rare that to then send really a goalkeeper down, off, yeah. it would be like. Like if Ramsdale had been booked and then got sent off for that, I'd be absolutely fuming. Um, One of the earliest bookies for time wasting, you'll see. Yeah, um, I mean, and and this is I, this goes back to what you were saying about the atmosphere and the crowd because I think the crowd played a huge part in that. The yeah. crowd were having none of it from the start because we saw it all last week um, with the Brentford game with, with David Raya. So the crowd were very, very much on top of this. I mean, there were a couple of ridiculous things. I don't want to talk about referees too much in this episode because, you know, I don't think it was referees that, that cost us the game. But Tommy Asu getting booked for, in inverted commas, time wasting when previously the referee pulled Gundogan over to have a word with him, didn't he? And said, look, if your goalkeeper keeps this up, he's getting a yellow card. So you talk to him. Tommy Asu didn't get that. Um, Bernardo mm -hmm. Silva, I thought, was very lucky not to go in the book earlier than he did. Mm -hmm. um, there was, yeah. So I, I don't want to talk too much about referees and I don't know why we're actually on it, but I think it was the penalty thing. The penalty, yeah. Let and And... and yeah, I, I, I wasn't calling for red card there. I was sort of pleased enough to see the penalty awarded because, mm. like I say, I, I didn't expect it. Um, and, 
it, was, it took quite a long time for the kick to be taken. There were periods where different players had the ball. Martin Odegaard was holding it at one point and sort of keeping City players potentially away from Saka, I think, was part of it. Jorginho was definitely involved in the conversation. Uh, but in the end, it was Saka who stepped up. And I've only just this morning seen the replays where oh, he's really? got Edison, you know, <laughs> uh, telling him where to put it. And he, he duly obliges. Yeah, I mean, I think that was just amazing. Like Edison is pointing, pointing, pointing. Go on, put it there, put it there, put it there. And he did. And Edison went the other way. Um, I mean, I think, you know, he's trying the double bluff there, I guess, the goalkeeper. But... Um, you know, very coolly dispatched penalty. There was a little bit of drama, wasn't there? At the end of the first half, there was a free kick, which I think was really, really soft, really generous free kick from Manchester City, but it was dangerous. The ball, I think it was mm. Rodri maybe headed it and it deflected off Ake's foot, which, you know, um, wrong-footed Ramsdale came off the bar and he had to put it in behind. So there was a little bit of danger, but I think going in at the break 1-1, I was happy. That we were level, obviously. I thought we'd acquitted ourselves pretty well. Uh, you know, like I said, going toe-to-toe with the reigning champions. The crowd are up for it. I think our performance was decent. And you're looking for a better second half. And, and can I add another factor yeah. there? Which is that, you know, City had played this unconventional formation and, and their the closest thing they had to fullbacks on the pitch, really, Carl Walker and Bernardo Silva, I think were both on booking yes. as well. Yes. I was going to ask you about that because at the start of the second half, I was thinking to myself, like, both their fullbacks are on yellows. Yeah, yeah. Got to get at them. We've got to get at them. We've got to run at them. We've got to, you know, do our best to move the ball quickly and make space so you can isolate Saka and Martinelli against the the fullbacks. Let them run at them. Let them, you know, um, run past and take a tumble, whatever it might be. And I was quite disappointed that that wasn't something we were able to do. Um, I think that plays into a little concern that I have, generally speaking, uh, over the last couple of games. Going back to what we were talking about with the Everton game, the same in the Brentford game, the zip is gone out of our passing. The quickness of movement, the ability to move the ball to the wide channels or to switch it to the wide areas really, really quickly isn't quite there at this moment in time. There's a sort of, I don't know if you call it a lethargy or just too many touches. We're not quite moving it the way we did earlier in the season. And I know there's probably questions about Martinelli and and, uh, his recent form, and there could be explanations for that. But I do think part of it is that by the time the ball comes to him, he doesn't really have any space to move into. I'm not saying he's at the top of his form or anything like that, but I think it's a factor that when the ball comes to him, he doesn't have a great deal of choice other than to shift it and go backwards. Um, Yeah, I think that's true. And I think Bukai Saka can receive the ball with players in front of him and he's got a lot of options in terms of what he can do with the ball at his feet. You know, I I, I think he has the quality of a midfield player and it means that when the game's in front of him, he's good with those combination passes. And, you know, I think Martinelli is much more of a forward uh, on the wing. And I think that a winger, yeah. You know, it's not the same at all because he's a more round, much more rounded player than Aubameyang. But in terms of, you know, what type of 40, you know, he really does think like a striker. And, 
I think that he does suffer without that space to move into. Mm. I, I agree with you. The zip has come out a little bit. I mean, it's difficult to analyze this game. I saw people on social media after the match saying, oh, Arsenal just stopped playing in the second half. And I, I think you have to also acknowledge the opposition. And I, I do think that City were markedly better in the second half. Well, they pressed higher. Immediately, you could see that there was greater coordination in their press and they were pressing much higher up the pitch. Mm-hmm. And I suppose this goes to what you were talking about with um, playing out from the back and maybe we could have varied it a little bit and perhaps that's true. You know, I, you know, there were it's, times... It's so difficult that though, isn't it? It is. It, it is literally a knife edge of risk and reward. And yeah. the, the good opportunities Arsenal make come from them circumnavigating that City press. No, you know? I, I agree with you. And I thought, you know, while it was happening, like everybody, I suppose there were moments where I was going, you know, because City press high and you have to be really technically perfect to get around that press or to try and beat that press. But then I was also thinking fuck, I like this. I like that we are trying to play like this against Manchester City. I like that we're not scared. I like that we're not just lumping it. I like that these principles that the manager is trying to embed into the team are there. And it doesn't matter if you're Manchester City or whoever, we will try and play that way. And I'm not saying there isn't a case for greater variety. I'm just telling you what I was thinking at the time is like, this team team is trying to do um, certain things that if they come off, could potentially bring you, like you say, uh, a great reward. There is an element of risk, but so too is their risk with just sort of lumping the ball up the field. And what happens then is you end up in you end up in a situation where it becomes impossible to play. Like if you launch three, four, five balls, you know, and you just hoof it, get rid of it, as a team you drop. You drop backwards, you become more compact, you sort of lose the offside space and the pressure mounts on you and it's it's on top of you all the time, all the time, all the time. And that's what we've seen in previous games against Manchester City, where they just sort of dominate possession, they dominate territory, you're shuffling across, you're doing your best to try and keep them out, but ultimately you can't because you know they're just such a good team. So while that was happening, I was like, Okay, I, I I I I get the sense of nervousness, but I I kind of admire the dedication to playing uh, in that way. Yeah, I I completely understand what you're saying. It was really interesting. Like, I think Ramsdale. I didn't see it. But he did an interview with BT before the game, and he said, you know, all the manager wants for us is to be Arsenal to play our game, and they absolutely <laughs> they did do that. Certainly in their build up phase, um, but it kind of ended up costing them and. I, I was probably like many fans in the stadium. I sort of had my heart in my mouth in some of those mm. moments. But I was sat next to Sam Lee, our Manchester City correspondent. And as Arsenal were kind of playing out from the back with you know, Sinchenko and Ramsdale and, and Saliba and others, he was kind of cheering it on. He was going like, yes, yes. And I, and I was like, this is getting a bit of a heart attack. And he was like, that's exactly what they need to do. And they are showing their personality. And mm. if you're going to beat City... You know, you've got to you've got to stick by your game, and you've got to do it your way. And uh, I was like, okay, Sam, sure, whatever you say, I'll, I'll stop um, <laughs> biting my nails. But it is interesting that additional context of City going long, and and this was in Pep's entire time in the Premier League, Guardiola's entire time in the Premier League. This was City's lowest pass completion rate they've ever had. 
they average about 89% and it was about 72.8%. Wow. percent in this game. Yeah. And, and that is an option that they, they partly took, I think, deliberately. And, and, and in Haaland, you know, they have a weapon that enables them to do that and to play that way. And I, and I don't think you can quite say the same about Arsenal. I mean, we'll come on to the absentees, but obviously, you know, Jesus as a direct option has mm. been massive for us this season, not something we had. So we may have played out by necessity. Now, the, the other thing to say about playing out from the back is I know that people look at this game and say, oh, we made mistakes. You know, it must have been the occasion. It must have been, you know, nerves. It must have been whatever. Mm. What I would say is the way we play out from the back, the degree of risk we take, I think we make mistakes in every game. But I don't think other teams punish you as ruthlessly as Manchester City do. And and you cannot afford mistakes like that mm. against them. I, th- I think that's true. I think that's true. Um, you know, we also we say every week Zinchenko gets caught for one, you know, per game. Mm. But most teams who get the ball 40 yards from your goal don't play the perfect three passes that lets them into score. City do. And, you know, that that was what was... It's tough, you know, yeah. about yesterday. Uh, and the other thing to say about maybe playing long or, or having that bit of variety is that, like, I thought some of, you know, despite the fact he missed chances and wasn't as good in the box as you would like, I thought Eddie did quite well in terms of his hold-up yeah. play. But we don't have a six-foot-five guy up front where the goalkeeper can launch it towards him and he can just batter two central defenders. He can just pick which one he, he goes to. And actually, I think it was interesting that Haaland wasn't getting a great deal of change out of Saliba and immediately, you know, he switched to Gabriel. I think he, he picked on the emotional one. Yeah, I think he did. And I think We that, didn't mention, of course, haven't talked about yet the, the, the potential penalty. That yeah, was, I was just going to come to that. But I think that, you know, that's a consequence of, of Haaland deciding, okay, I'm not getting what I need off, off Saliba or, or Saliba is dealing with me well enough. I'll go over the other side. And look, uh, Gabriel is, I think, for the most part, really consistent, but he can have these games. He can have some games where maybe you might say the occasion is is something that gets to him. Yeah, he, uh, he, he is emotional in a way that Saliba isn't. And and Haaland wants a scrap. Like, mm-hmm. you saw that against Rob Holding. That's what he wants. He wants arms on shirts. He wants a body-to-body tussle. Wants a guy and, he can elbow in the side of the head and get away <laughs> with it. Yeah, yeah. He wants contact because he backs himself in it. And... I think, you know, we talked about Saliba in the air and I think he's got, you know, room to improve there. But I thought, by and large, he had a pretty good game and I thought Haaland got less out of him. I think Gabriel got drawn into the duel mm. and it's hard. I, I, listen, it's hard. He's world-class, yeah. world-class. Um, but but I just think, I do think, and I don't know the answer, by the way, surprise, surprise, but... I do think that conversation about principles of play is a fascinating one because, you know, when it went wrong for us at the end of last season, you think maybe of the game at St. James's Park, 
you know, Granite Shaka coming out afterwards saying, you know, we didn't stick to the plan. There was a sense that we had slightly abandoned our build-up and mm. looked to go long. Um, in this game, we really stuck to it. Was it the right decision? Did we have another option? Don't know, I, I, but I do think it's a, a sort of interesting discussion point on a, on a night where City broke their own mould a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, let's just fly through the the incidents, I guess. The penalty that was awarded and then rescinded for offside. Somebody remembered to draw the lines. It's amazing. Amazing. Incredible. What a breakthrough for PGMOL. their hand while they did it. Um, yeah, yeah. The, the minute that happened, Howard Webb's on the phone going, draw the fucking lines! <laughs> draw those lines! Yeah, um, I think so. But, but uh, I mean, what did you make of the the award of the penalty based on the incident itself? Because it, it's another one of those where I think it's six of one, half a dozen of the other, but the attacker always seems to get the benefit of the doubt because the perception is, well, the defender's got to be stronger there. He's got to prevent this situation from developing, but... You know, I I really do think it could have gone either way. It just looks much clumsier from a central defender's point of view. And like I said, I don't think Gabriel had a great game by any stretch of the imagination. But, you know, I had some sympathy for him in that sense because, I mean, it's a nightmare to play against a guy that size who's basically hanging off you in as much as you're hanging off him. And then he gets into the box and throws himself over looks like a penalty, smells like a penalty, walks like a penalty, so it's a duck, whatever way mm. you want to say it. But, you know. And it comes just from another, to be honest, mm. like loft, lifted ball into a channel, you know. Carl mm. Walker just knocks it down the line. I, I think Haaland's going to get a lot of these 50-50s because of the perception of him, because there is this sense of he's this physical, unstoppable monster and so if he's been brought down it's probably a foul you know I, I do think yeah. that plays into it a little bit because I agree it's pretty much 50-50 there's an argument it starts outside the box for sure and, uh, yeah Haaland's definitely looking for it I must say though in the moment my analysis was only uh, really about it being offside and I was like very happy that you know the early replay showed yeah that was never going to count. Yeah. Um, we were we were a little bit under pressure at that point in the game. Yeah. Although that moment that we talked about it, uh, earlier on with Eddie, Tommy Asu cross, he slid in, didn't make contact with the ball. You know the kind of penalty box chance you're going. This is this is what you want as a striker. He didn't quite make it, and then of course, mm -hmm. uh, Jorginho cleared one off the line. Um, and then there is the oh yeah yeah loose hands for the yeah. keeper yeah and then. The, the, the second goal. The box. Mm. I mean, the, the, we had a couple of moments. You know, you mentioned the one where Eddie slid in. There was another one where we broke quite well and Jorginho got the ball on the edge of the box and sort of played it across the across, box, maybe yeah, yeah, towards yeah. Eddie. Yeah, it just, it, I wasn't 100% convinced about what he was going for there, but it was, a, it was an opportunity. I, I think what it was, was in order to stay on side, Eddie had to check his run. So when right. the ball came in, he wasn't really on his toes in a position to to make a movement towards the ball because he'd actually checked to make sure that he could stay on side. But there were other ones, you know, there was one where Shaka could have played it to Martinelli and or it 
could have opened up for a shot. I think Ooh. it was caught in two minds. Yeah, that was a big moment. I yeah, mean, that's... it was. And like, I think Xhaka three months ago is decisive in that position and executes the right pass. But he played a pass, I think, with the outside of his foot and overhit it. Um, City in this period changed it as well. Well, yeah, they, they brought on Akanji, didn't they? And moved Akanji Silva. And they, yeah, they went to more of a conventional back four, a bit less galaxy brain. I think it worked. Um, I think it was effective. It was a very effective change. Yeah. From my I mean, perspective. It, I mean, to be honest, it was a more logical way to set up the team, to, to my mind. Yeah. Um, and that helped them. I think I felt like they just... I fear that the story of this game and the story of this season may be similar in terms of Arsenal setting a standard and City rising to it. Um mm. I, I do. I mean, I, but I, you know, I'm not going to lie to you here. We spoke about playing out for the bat. I'm just reading my notes. I've got uh, 69 minutes. Uh, Aaron saves from Zinchenko. Uh, Aaron saves from Harland after Zinchenko giveaway. 71 minutes. Shaka overhits pass for Eddie. Mm. And the next note I've written is Arsenal's bravery playing it out from the back is brilliant. And that must have been written moments seconds second goal. second i mean gabriel gives the ball away holland moves into the space they play the ball across the box there's an overload but i think we are punished to the maximum to the maximum for a single misplaced pass in midfield um yeah. to the allen st maximum we yeah. have been punished uh, i think ramsdale makes a routine save if the ball doesn't take that deflection. It's not a good shot. It's like it's, it's a, a really finish. poor shot. Yeah. It's a it's really well within Ramsdale's reach. Sure. Uh you know, I don't even think we'd be calling that a great save. We'd be going, well, well Yeah, it's just like it's bread and butter save for a goalkeeper, I think. Yeah, and the deflection is very, very cruel. Mm. But but I think you're right. It's it's much more about Everything City get right. Um, I mean, I'm watching it now. So, Gabriel, he's got the ball. And Shaka is the pass that he's looking for, right? Into midfield. Mm-hmm. Does a City foot get to it and make a sort of semi-interception? I'm just, just going to have uh, another quick look at it here. Gabriel, I think De Bruyne gets his body across and sort of takes the pace off Gabriel's pass, which enables Bernardo to cut it out. It might well be, actually, yeah. Uh, it looks like a really bad pass from Gabriel, and, and you know, it, it, it kind of is, but I do think De Bruyne effectively intercepts it. Then, from that point on, the line isn't great, is it? Because no. you've got Gabriel pressed high. Zinchenko drops deep with De Bruyne, doesn't hold his line. Saliba is then like, hey, I, I can't hold the line because Zinchenko's gone deep and it creates this big channel for Haaland to run into. Um, mm. And it's a lovely step over from Gundogan. And then yeah, and then like there's good fortune on the finish. They got yeah. a, a, piece of, a piece of good luck which helped them you know, punish us to the maximum for the mistake that we made. Um, the third goal, how do you analyze that one in the context of Arsenal in the 80th minute, 81st minute, whatever it was, looking to try and get forward? I remember 
maybe in the build-up to this goal, Xhaka chased all the way back to try and win the ball back. I think maybe he did win the ball back in midfield, but we were stretched. Mm. And I wrote about this on the blog today where it's been amazing to me how in so many Premier League games this season, Holland is not marked by anybody because it's not as if he is uh, difficult to pick out in a lineup, right? Yeah. But there he was with nobody sufficiently close to him in our box. I think it's quite a typical City goal in that they move it well, smart passing, etc., etc. But I think it was a tired goal to concede. Yeah, and I, and I thought Arsenal looked quite leggy in the second half, mm. personally. Um, and City will do that to you. Um, I, I think it's, from a City perspective, they'd be looking at that and saying, what a goal. I, I do think that. Mm. Defensively for Arsenal, there's a bit of a situation where Gabriel goes out into the channel and Jorginho, as he did quite a lot in the game, sort of drops into the defence and it's kind of in a central defensive position. Mm-hmm. And then as... Gabriel comes back in. They sort of swap over, but neither of them really pick up Haaland. Uh, and mm. then you just cannot give yeah, him a chance yeah, yeah. like that in the box. No, you can't. You can't. And that was game over. That was game over at that point, for sure. I mean, we did make a couple of subs. Uh, we might have some questions about the subs or the timings and things like that in, in part two. Um, deflating honestly wasn't it because you know i think we had we had given a good account of ourselves and i don't think that another goal for arsenal was completely and utterly out of the question no i i think it's all this about some maybes but i think if arsenal had led at any point in the game it would have been extremely interesting mm. because I think City would have been forced to play a different game and it would have suited Arsenal, especially with those wide players, you know, and the fullbacks on bookings. But Arsenal were never in that position. And um, to be fair, didn't did not create a great deal between kind of the 30th minute and the 80th minute. There weren't many chances that came uh, Arsenal's way. Mm. Um it's funny, you know, because you were talking at the top of the show and saying, you know, first 45 minutes, we really went toe-to-toe with Man City. In a funny way, I don't think there's a vast difference between this fixture last season and this fixture this season. I think... The, if, the home I, fixture. Yeah, I don't really. Like, as in, I feel like the first halves were similar. Arsenal took it to City had them on the back foot. Wow, we're living with them. We're doing this. We're competing. Another actual, when you think about it, another real sliding doors moment when, was it Martinelli had a chance and he hit the post and then like within seconds, yeah. uh, Gabriel gets his red card. An, an emotional Gabriel. Yeah, that's uh, true. Mistakes and sort of not coolness in critical moments being Arsenal's downfall, but sort of still, I think, emerging with a pretty creditable performance that shows that they are closer at this point in time than they have been for a while. Yeah. You know, and, and I do think that third goal for City 
is a bit of a varnish on the result. Like, I, I don't really feel it was a 3-1 game, personally. I agree. I agree. Uh, and so, actually, like, when I look at the, the one in January last uh, year and then the one in February this year, I think there are loads of parallels. But our expectations rightfully have changed in that 12 months. Mm. And that's telling in itself, you know, of how far we've come. And this win against City, it has to come soon. It has been far, far, far too long. And that while there are these promising signs, I know that that will only make so much difference to people because it's results that ultimately matter. And it, I mean... It may have to come at the Etihad. <laughs> well, I mean, we, we talked about how a draw in this game might well, you know, was it would be a good result. Um, and maybe people were saying if you draw both City games, that's pretty decent because of, you know, you're not taking any points off each other or whatever it might be. But, you know, if we go, if we can go to the Etihad and win, then, you know, maybe this game... Maybe this game doesn't feel quite as significant at the end of at the end of the season, but obviously there's a lot to do between now and then. There's a lot uh, to sort of get right between now and then. We do have a game in hand, of course, but we've got to keep winning until we play those uh, games in hand. Because you know, City have got. Um, yeah, I think the 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 sense of inevitability about Manchester City that wasn't really there for most of this season is kind of there now and that's something you've got to battle with in your own minds as well as well as your own form you know yeah i think so my, my i do worry about what this result does for arsenal season but i worry more about what it does for cities mm. um, shot in the arm kind of stuff yeah like i think arsenal have been brilliant this season and the points tally speaks for itself um, but for anyone else other mm. than Man City to win this league probably requires City to not hit their level. Mm. Uh, and while I don't think this was like a sensational City performance, it was a performance that showed what they are capable yeah, of. Yeah, I mean, there is, a, there is a psychological element to being on top, to having a lead, to having that lead hauled in and then being overtaken at the top of the table, even if you do have a game in hand. You know, that that brings with it a certain measure of pressure and, and fear and all of those kinds of things. Um, I'm just looking at um, City's upcoming fixtures, Nottingham Forest, Bournemouth. They do have Newcastle. West Ham, Liverpool. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, I mean, look, it was always going to be tough. It was always going to be tough. And I think, you know, after last, uh, last night, it's going to be tougher again. But, uh, but yeah. You've got to use it. You've got to keep going. Mm. And you've got to... Uh, I think it's sort of important to Arsenal's season sustaining that they stay in this hunt, uh, almost irrespective of the outcome. I think... You don't want to get dragged into a a, gay, a, a conversation around like, mm. right, are we looking at top four? Now? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. The best way to get where you want to be is to aim aim high. And they really need a result, Arsenal, now. We really need a result. Um, and yeah. I'll be honest, I've been looking at this Aston Villa fixture for a few weeks and thinking, oh, God, I'm not sure about that. 
Well, look, maybe we'll have a question or two about that uh, yeah. in part two. I think we've we've kind of uh, done that game to death. We now need to sort of bury it, uh, scatter the ashes, salt the earth, and move on. So we'll do that. We'll take a break. We'll come back with your questions and more in part two right after this. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back to the Arsecast Extra. This is part two, where we answer questions that you send to us on Twitter, at GunnarBlog and at Arsblog. Also on the Arsblog Discord chat server, which you get access to if you are an Arsblog member. On Patreon, I'm going to go first today, if you Mm -hmm. don't mind. And this one comes from Breakthrough on the Discord. And he says, or they say, in 2008, Arsenal, while top of the league, chose to field a weakened team at Old Trafford in the FA Cup. They lost 4-0. Everyone said, it's okay to be out of the cup. Now we can concentrate on the league. The following week was the ill-fated game away to Birmingham City. We know what happened after that. Do you not see similarities with that and this season? I was disappointed, annoyed, gutted, and frustrated at half the team being rested for the Man City Cup game. Considering how well we played against the City team looking bereft of confidence, I truly feel a full-strength team would have won there and piled the pressure on them. Instead, we gave them a huge boost and the initiative. It boiled my piss to see so many people happy or content to be out of the cup. Do you think that the cup game completely changed the momentum in City's favour? No, I don't really. I have to be honest. Like, I, I, I have, I have time for that perspective, and I don't like going out of the cup either. But I just didn't watch that and get any sense that they felt it had changed anything as regards the Premier League. I, I really didn't take that away from it. Um, And I didn't sense that the Arsenal players felt that way either. And I think... I I don't believe that that that, uh, cup game is why we lost to Everton. I I just don't believe that personally. Mm. What do you think? I don't see it either, to be honest, because I think City's next game, they lost to Spurs. Yeah, after that's the what FA I mean. Cup game. It, it, I don't think it was a momentum switch. And and actually, my feeling on that game, watching the FA Cup game, and the fact that it was a really tight game, a 1-0 win to Manchester City, where I thought in general we played pretty well, despite the fact that we had dropped, or not dropped, but rested a, a number of players, I think... I took more encouragement from that than 
maybe Manchester City did from the win. I thought, well, look, if we can play Man City at that level, having made that many changes, then, you know, what could we do when we play them in the league? And, you know, maybe the first half was, you know, what I was thinking of um, out of that game. But I, I don't really feel like the FA Cup game is why City came and won yesterday. I don't think they had any more confidence than they would already have against Arsenal because they would have said, well, we always win against Arsenal anyway. You know, I don't think this was, I don't think that was a factor. But I do I do know where he's coming from or where they're coming from on that one. But I don't really think that was comparable to the one in 2008 because it really felt on that night at Old Trafford like we'd just completely thrown a game, almost on purpose. It was an embarrassing result as well. It was an embarrassing result. Was it Nanny or somebody who was doing keepy-ups or running the ball with, you know, juggling it with his head? They were showboating all over the place. So I don't really see that those two things are the same. No, yeah, I I strongly feel that. I think that what happened in the Premier Mm. League is much more relevant. Um, And the points that Arsenal dropped over the subsequent games I do I do think that momentum is a thing I, I think mm-hmm. it's really difficult to quantify but I think form exists and when you're on a winning run wins beget wins mm-hmm. uh, I do believe that and I think but I would point out for example Arsenal's Carabao Cup game Arsenal lost that against Brighton but it didn't impact on their Premier League form in any way. I think the team have shown a sort of capability to compartmentalize sure. the cups. I understand it's different against City but I just don't think that's what's happened here. Um maybe I'm wrong. Mm. But that's my perspective. Um let's have a look at something else. This is a cheerful perspective. Um, (laughs) uh, Mary Had a Little Ramsdale on the Discord says, Hey up, gents. As disappointing as last night was, could it benefit Arsenal to have everyone writing them off? The pressure of expectation is removed. Um, I mean, I've seen that posited. I think I had another question here. Um, Let's see if if I can find it. I don't know if I can, actually. Uh, uh, Jack Abella on Twitter, Jack G. Abella, do you think Arsenal being labelled favourites has affected our performance over the last month? And now we'll become the hunters rather than the hunted. Could we thrive as underdogs again? I mean, there might well be something to that in, in that, you know, if you are being pursued by somebody like Manchester City, it's got to be there front and centre in your consciousness all the time. Mm. I mean, I never really bought into the idea that we were favourites for the title. You know, with 19 games to go, people were going, well, it's all it's Arsenal's title to lose, you know? Yeah, there's we 19, weren't saying that. No, there's 19 games to go. I think what we were saying was, we have a chance. We have a chance. We've put ourselves in a brilliant position, but there is a long way to go. I think that's what most people were saying. I think Arsenal being elevated to favourites by some people and maybe other fans or whatever is kind of a self-defence mechanism because then 
if things take a bit of a wobble, they can have a good laugh at it, you know? Not that I give a fuck what any rival fans think of us or where we are or what we do, but I think that that might have been part of it. Um, it will be interesting to see if the dynamic changes, because if you're the pace setter and then you fall behind, it does feel like it's going to be a little more difficult to get yourself going again. Mm-hmm. That would be a concern that I have, but maybe coming from behind or, or, or just sort of keeping pace with Manchester City and trying to put together a, a late run or whatever it might be, um, it, it could suit us. I don't, I don't know. I mean, what would suit us a lot better or what would have suited us a lot better was beating Everton, beating Brentford and beating Manchester City. But everyone's going to lose football matches in a season. It's how you react. And I think this is going to be perhaps the biggest test of the season so far is, is how well we react and how quickly we can react from this. Because, you know, I'm pretty sure there's a real sense of disappointment in the Arsenal dressing room. And I think disappointment from last season is a big part of why we were so good in the first half of this season. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. So can we channel that quickly? Can we get going again? Because, you know, make, make no mistake, we need to get going again pretty, pretty fast. I agree. By the way, I've just gone on to Twitter um, to, to grab a question and I've Sorry just seen some... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to need to uh, have a break for the podcast uh, <laughs> while I just absorb all this horror. But um, someone has clipped up uh, the move... I think it's the 70th minute of the game, so just before City get their second goal, which ends in Shaka overhitting a pass to Nketiah. Mm. And it was probably around where I wrote something about Arsenal playing out from the back, being very brave. And it is a move that is so expertly worked and involves going back to the goalkeeper, I think, more than once, building up through the centre-halves, Jorginho finding a pass through the middle of the pitch. And unfortunately, it just breaks down. Uh, on Shaka, you know, inside 25 yards of their goal. But I, I, I'm seeing a lot of stuff talking about like Arsenal's nerves and, you know, the playing out from the back getting really jittery. I just, I, I have to be honest, I, that doesn't really tally with what I saw yesterday. I just saw moments where concentration or execution erred for a moment and we were punished. I know we had this chat, but just seeing as I saw it again. No, no, no. I, I, think, think, so. I think it's a fair point to make because it's it's one of the things that made us really effective in the first part of the season was how well we executed once we got into the final third. And I think what we're seeing now when we talk about heavy legs, the mm. zip going out of our passing, you know, I mean, if you look at the – if you look at the – the chance that Saka had in the first half, it came from a really good one-touch passing move in around the City box. You know, so it's there, but it's not there consistently enough. Um, I I think that's right. Yeah, I do think that maybe the bigger problem for Arsenal right now is that they're they're just missing something in attack. And obviously, you know, they're missing a very important player in attack. But Mm. listen, we had a question here from... Uh, Arsblog's own Phil Costa, who said, Morning, guys. Arsenal have needed players to overperform for their title challenge this season. And I think we're finally seeing the physical and mental limits of said players, e.g. Shaka, Nketiah and White. Bumps are normal, but what changes could give this side a shot in the arm? Oof. 
I mean, it's a really, that's a $64,000 question, isn't it? Mm. Uh, I mean, I, <laughs> it, it, I don't know when it's coming, but when it comes, Gabriel Jesus coming back is literally like an adrenaline shot to the chest for this team. For I do sure. think that. I agree. I agree. And and maybe even Emil Smith Rowe to to a lesser extent because it gives yeah. us a, a different kind of option, a, a ball carrier in the final third or in the opposition half that would be really useful. I mean, I think that's an interesting point about players overperforming. Um I mean yeah, I think like, that, yeah, is that fair, do you think? I, I think maybe in some cases it could be because you know, let's say with Shaka. I think based on his attacking contributions during his uh, his career at Arsenal, you could say he is uh, he has overperformed. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also could be him just improving. The same mm-hmm. with players like Enkedia, like Ben White, have have got better, have improved because of the system, because of coaching, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But I think what you know, maybe what Phil is saying is that these guys have played to a really, really high level consistently, and now are falling a little bit short. Yeah, it's very difficult for any player mm. to sustain playing at their ceiling for a season. Yeah, it is. It is. Only the like the most amazing players can do it for 38 games. Um so I mean the the the, the bigger question of course though is like how do you change it? What do you do to counter that? Do you play players through it and hope they come back to form or do you Look to change the side a little bit. Look to change your tactics a little bit. Look to change your system a little bit with fresh blood, with new players, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So I, I think in terms of the the Villa game, and we had question, we had a question about Shaka uh, as well. So I'll just throw this in, and I'll I'll throw this over to you. Uh, let's see uh, on the Discord. Jonathan Cameron said, "Should Shaka have a break from starting? Surely it's time to try Tierney and Martinelli together from the get-go, which I guess means moving Zinchenko into the into the Shaka role." And then Big TA said, "Just heading home from the game. Really disappointed at the result. The City did not want to play at our pace. Shaka looked busted at 65, and we looked more aggressive with." Uh, Vieira, Trossard, and White. Do you think, um, uh, or he gives a question about Arteta, but he said, should we rest Shaka and start Trossard in this position for the next few games? So it's a question of like how you try and spark your team back into life for what is going to be a really difficult game away at Aston Villa, 12.30 kickoff on a Saturday morning. Our favourites, as we know, um, like I think the absence of Thomas Partey makes it, almost uh, impossible that Mikel Arteta will drop or rest Granite Xhaka for this game. Mm. But I can sort of see where people are coming from with this question. Um, how, how do you view that? Uh, and, and what potentially would you or could you do to add a bit of extra life to the team for the game against Villa? Hmm, it is a big question. I, mm. I think we are seeing some of the limitations of Shaka uh, in this position. And for Arsenal to get to City's level, it probably does require a different profile of player there. Mm-hmm. We haven't got that player, uh, in my opinion, right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's... 
I don't think you can drop Shaka with Thomas Partey out. That's my opinion. I think it's just too much instability. I don't think you can play Fabio mm. Vieira and Jorginho in your midfield three on an away trip in the Premier League when you need a win. I just don't. I think that's too high risk. I kind of, I agree with that. I, uh, with both both things you've said in terms of, you know, upgrading that position, but also the reality, the practicalities of going away in the Premier League. Um, I think, I think you need his stature. You need his experience you need him to find some of the form that he showed earlier in the season, that's for sure. But it would be a bit lightweight for me if you were to put, I don't know about Trossard in that position. The The other option, of course, is, is Vieira. Or, you know, it could be Zinchenko if he decides to play Kieran Tierney at left back. And maybe, you know, just sort of going back to last night, the substitutions, I wonder, was Tierney anywhere in his mind... You know, to run or to overlap against a fullback who's on a yellow card. Yeah, just in fairness to Shaka, I do think he plays a brilliant pass to Enketia to win the penalty. Yeah, um, yeah. and I, so I don't think it's that. You know, I think it's unfair to say, albeit from a slightly deeper position. But I think he had he had positive moments in the game as well as negative ones i i basically think could arsenal have something better there yes do arsenal have something better there not no. yet yeah not yet that's kind of where i am with it and um i think there are definitely games and there could be times where you could say let's try vieira there or if he's fit let's try smith rowe there um i'm just not sure with Partey out that this is that time mm. Um, or try Zinchenko there. I mean, you know, Zinchenko, I know you felt he was not at his best against Brentford. And I think defensively, when you look at the second and third City goals in this game, I don't think he does brilliantly. Um, hmm. I wonder if we might see Kieran Tierney at left back. Uh, I think rotation is going to be necessary against Villa. And I think actually that Tierney... I mean, Martinelli was interesting. Martinelli did pick up more central positions yesterday and Zinchenko did overlap a bit more uh, than we have seen, particularly in the first half, I noticed that. Mm. Um, but I, I do wonder if we might see total change on that left-hand side, so maybe it will be Tierney and Trossard, Trossard for yeah. example. Yeah. Which I, I can sort of see a natural balance there between those two. I think, you know, Tierney wants to go on the outside and I think Trossard is happier in, in those interior spaces. Um, but I think he, that Shaka as a kind of fulcrum on that left-hand side, in a way, becomes all the more essential. We, we did have questions and I can't find one right now. Sorry. Uh, let me just see. Oh, maybe I've got one right down the bottom here. Oh, yeah. Ash Richards, 90 on the Discord asking, is it worth trying someone different up top on Saturday? Maybe Martinelli through the middle. Mm. Um, I mean, we aren't exactly replete with options in that position. You know, Eddie could have done better against Manchester City, but Eddie's kind of all we've got, unless we play a false nine. Trossard has played there a little bit for Brighton, but I think he'd he'd be more effective on the left-hand side. Um He's playing a lot of football, Eddie. I mean, 
This is I'm the just, most he's played, isn't it? I mean, he's playing 90 minutes pretty much every week, week in, week out. Now we're getting into like three-game-a-week territory and, and everything else. Yeah. Spurs, 90 minutes. United, 90 minutes. City in the Cup, 90 minutes. Everton, 90 minutes. Brentford, 90 minutes. City at home, 90 minutes. It's a lot in that position because mm. it's very physically demanding. Um, I would not be averse to seeing something like that. Martinelli through the middle. Uh, he came off a little bit early in this game. Martinelli mm. might have a little bit in his legs. I think it could invigorate him playing in a new position. Um, gets Trossard into the team, shakes things up a bit. Yeah, he's done 90 minutes in every single game since the World Cup. Yeah. So I think... I'd be open to that for sure. And I, I don't think it would do Eddie any harm. At the same time, though, that's what he wants. That's what he wanted, you know? I think if you were yeah, to yeah, ask yeah. Eddie and Keddie, do you want to play every minute of every game after the World Cup? Because of yes, he would. But, uh, you know, if it if it does appear he's a little bit leggy or a little bit not fatigued, I don't quite know. He's still a young guy. So, you know, the schedule hasn't been that demanding. But... I think it is part and parcel of the game that players do sometimes need changing, rotating, whatever whatever you want to call yeah, it. I think his form has dropped off a bit since the United game. He was in outstanding form. He came into the mm. team for the West Ham game, Boxing Day. I'm just having a look. One, two, three, four, five, six games, six goals, really, up until the end of that United match. No goals in four since then. And I think his all-round play has dropped off. I don't think that's unfair. You know, if I think about mm. what he produced against United, if I think about, although he didn't score, the performance he turned in at White Hart Lane, you know, Tottenham Stadium, um, to the toilet bowl, whatever you want to call it, uh, it that was a really, really good centre-forward performance. I don't think he's he's been at that level since yeah. then. And maybe he does. Maybe he is one of those who requires rotation. I think it would be understandable given that you know, he also played the entirety of that FA Cup game. Mm. Um, so that's something you could do. I think I think I would be inclined, if I was picking the Villa team, I think I might go, I think I might go Tierney and Trossard on the left, Martinelli up top, and keep pretty much everything else as is. I, th- I think it's a toss-up at right back. I think it'll um, be... I think it'll be Ben White. Yeah, I suspect so. Unless that, he does it, the thing he does. Sometimes when a player makes a mistake, he gives them the next game. Yeah. You could play Zinchenko instead of Sashaka, maybe. But I, I'm not sure if I would. Um, I think that, I think, I don't think Arteta will do all that, to be honest. I think it'll probably be Eddie, but hmm. if it was me, yeah, I might freshen it up a bit. I mean, Villa, Villa are all right, but if Arsenal can get going, hmm. you know, they should have enough. And, and I do think we shouldn't lose sight of the fact that if we win at Saturday lunchtime, we will be top again, maybe yes. until only 5pm. But I think even that is a bit of a shot in the arm. Yeah, the yeah, 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 for sure. You've got you've to stop this little funk we're in. You've got to get on top yeah. of it quickly. I mean, we'll actually be top with a draw, but yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you want you want the points. We need a win. We, we need a win. Uh, is it my turn? I think it could be. Uh, or is it your turn? I don't know. Um, Let me have a look. Oh, we had questions about Thomas Partey. Yeah. I mean, Audica Butcher said, it may sound revisionist, but I really do believe that if we had Jesus and Partey, this game would look very different. I mean, I think that that's something we didn't mention. No, and I think that's true. It is frustrating, isn't it, that we yeah. weren't able to field our best 11 or even our best 10. Yeah, like if Man City had come into this game without Holland and or Rodri, Rodri or yeah. Silva or De Bruyne or, you know... You know, it, it wouldn't have been, I'm sure it, it would have been uh, a different prospect for them, you know? So it's it's something I think you have to take into consideration. It doesn't make anybody feel much better, but it is part of what happened, I think. It is. And I do wonder if in the analysis at the end of the season, if it doesn't go our way, I do think the Gabriel Jesus injury will be an absolutely critical point. Like, yeah. I think that the the way to which Eddie, as one of the questions suggested, perhaps overperformed when he first came into the team, I think slightly shrouds quite how big, and the way the club quite intelligently have sort of talked around it, I think an Arteta mm. has been very careful to not make it an excuse at any point. But I do think we basically lost our best player at Christmas. Um and inevitably, that was going to have an impact yeah. uh, at some point. And I think in terms of Partey... I have Jesus, a question here. I've got a question. Oh, Let on. me fire the question at you. It comes from boom, 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 Danny Banny. He said, is it time to move on from having Partey in the starting eleven next season? I.e., do we need a Caicedo and a Rice and or a Rice? He's so unreliable. Not a chance he can play three games a week next season. He's so protected, barely playing our non-league games. We will not be able to do that in the Champions League next season. It is difficult because he's a very unique player um, who is not easily replaced. But he's what age now? He'll be 30 in the summer. Um, still under contract for a couple more years. I do think Arsenal, they know. They know. They they, they tried to buy Caicedo for 70 million quid or whatever mm. it was. That, that, you know, they know this needs addressing uh, in a long-term way. And Jorginho is not the long-term answer there. So, yeah, I absolutely agree that Arsenal need to have a player who they feel can come in without it substantially weakening the team. You know, it was very reminiscent of the Kieran Tierney situation, I think, in terms of his sort of chronic unavailability at critical... Mm. moments Pixar's and moments, Arsenal saying sorry. well we need to get someone who's at least as good and I really hope we can do that for, for the defence midfield position mm. too what, what do you think I mean I guess like everybody my heart sank a little bit when I heard that the party was going to be out but my surpriseometer didn't register whatsoever no I mean he's not missed a league game since September yeah but but 
But, but that, that means he was due one. Yeah, it means he was due one. It, it felt like, well, it's coming uh, because it's happened every season. Um, he's obviously an extremely good player, but I think we're heading into the realms of the discussion that we had about so many really good players at this club down the years who have been unreliable when it comes to injuries. And you, I mean, you all know the names. You can think of, you know, Aaron, Aaron Ramsey or Jack Wilshire or, or, you know, there've been others down the years where they were given every chance to come back and, and be important, but they're, you know, particularly when a player, it's different. I think when a player is 23, 24, when a player is heading into his thirties and every season, there's a point where he's gone. And it's often at a really, really important part of the season. Then you have to think we need somebody else. Mm -hmm. We need somebody else. You know, for that first team spot, it might be beneficial in the way that we've seen this season with Tierney and Zinchenko, where you know you've got two players who do have injury records, but when one's been out, the other's been available. You know, you have that that kind of cover there. Um, it doesn't mean to say Partey can't play a role next season, but we have to do something to ensure that the inevitable absence doesn't hurt us as much. And I don't think, for example, that yesterday the reason we lost the game was because Jorginho played ahead of Thomas Partey. I don't think that was it. But over the coming weeks, maybe, if Partey's not going to be available we might find that a couple of those results are because we didn't, we couldn't play through midfield the way we have played when he's been at his best. So I have to say my my patience levels, you know, are, are quite low for his injuries at this point. And like you say, they did try to do something in January with Caicedo. They brought in Jorginho as a stopgap measure, but come the summer, there can be no excuse is the wrong word but you know if they don't address this issue then uh, i don't know what they're thinking yeah and i'm sure they will and it may be good for parte you know it may mean that he doesn't have to play every game which may reduce the load it, on exactly, him reduce, exactly exactly you know may may mean you're able to kind of pick and choose your games a bit more for him um but long term arsenal have to find an, a way to play without him anyway you know, mm. so yeah, it, it's clearly a priority at this point in time. All right. Um, unless you've got something really interesting, I think we should probably leave it there and um, get this podcast no, out no. for people. No, no, well, that's we've covered it off, haven't we? I think we've pretty much talked about everything. So let's hope that the uh, the team can get back to winning ways this weekend uh, against Aston Villa away to Unai Emery's Aston Villa at twelve thirty on Saturday morning. I'll leave you leave a little blank there for you to fill in your own smart remark in your head because I'm sure everybody's thinking more or less the same thing. And we'll preview that game over on Patreon tomorrow. Myself and Lewis Ambrose, you can join us at patreon.com forward slash arseblog. This Arsecast Extra is taking the place of a regular Arsecast on Friday. So there you go. Um, we'll be here on Monday. Uh, with a look back on whatever happens at Villa Park. Uh, Fingers crossed for the win. For now, we'll leave it there. Thank you very much. Bye-bye.
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 